So let me invite you to uh, turn in the scriptures with me to 1 Corinthians 12. This is where we're inviting the Lord to speak to us from. When the Lord speaks to us, he primarily speaks to us through his spirit, through his word. And the goal, as we just prayed, is, I hope you caught it, that the Lord would speak to us through these scriptures so that the light of Christ would be revealed through us by our acts of love, is what we declared. That's what we just prayed, in case you missed it. That the Lord would speak to us to shape us so that he would be revealed, his light and his life would be revealed through our acts of love. So we're in 1 Corinthians 12 at the end this morning because we're continuing to look at how we mature as Christ followers. In other words, how we grow into the likeness of Jesus. It's, that is discipleship, growing into the likeness of our leader, and our leader is Jesus. Last week, we looked at this chapter, if you missed it, and it was really this simple big idea. That the church, we, the people of God, the children of God, are a family described as one body. And it's, it, it's an image for us to, to think about. One body, like you have one body, but many members, many different parts of your body. We are one body with many different members. Don't think membership here, all right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if you're a child of God, you're a part of one body. And just like the physical body, all of us are unique and distinct. In fact, it's the beauty of that that makes us a body. We're not all an ear, that's what the text says. It's one body, many members, and all of us, every single children of God, when they're born again, is given a spiritual gift for the purpose of what? The building up of the one body. So it is for the common good. And I, again, I hope we as a church have an appreciation that maturity requires, first of all, we're one body, unity. That we are many distinct parts. We value our differences. It's part of the work of God. And we recognize in, in our differences, it has been the choice of the Holy Spirit to make you and gift you the way he made you and to gift you the way he made you. For when you do what God has made you to do and when you do what God has made you to do and when you do what God has made you to do, when each of us do what God has made us to do, then this one body all benefits, and the opposite. When you're a part of the body, but not doing what God has made you to do, then the whole body suffers. So it's about recognizing, do you know how God has made you in terms of how God has gifted you so that you, as a chosen gifted by God, member of one body, could serve for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians 12. It's why we talk about this table of one table 
many chairs. Here's the drawback to the table that I don't want you to end up thinking. The drawback to the table is we tend to think of a table and sitting around it as stationary. Like, no movement. You don't move when you're at the table. You're stationary. And God doesn't have us to be stationary. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. So don't have in your head that life in the church is mostly about sitting around the table having coffee. (laughs) Now, it is. this is to picture that we're one body, but many members. So why are we in chapter 12? We're in chapter 12 for the last sentence. The last sentence of chapter 12 says this, and I show you a still more excellent way. So as good as this is, as fantastic as the picture of the church is as one body, many members all working together so that the whole body thrives and grows and is built up, there's even a more excellent way. And that's a crucial because it's what launches us into the next chapter. And many of us may know that the next chapter, because we've heard it at a thousand weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, is about love. But it sets the stage for as important as it is to know your gifts, as important as it is to use your gifts, there's something more excellent than spiritual gifts. Track with me in verses, two verses of chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, you know me well enough how badly I want to take a pot and a metal spoon and just bang it like mad for 30 seconds in front of you. And you're like, oh, thank you for not doing that. Because... Uh, when, I was in, when I was in India, <clears throat> and I don't think they were used to this, that's exactly what I did. And, and, and they weren't this far away. They were like right there. And, and you know what they wanted to do? Kill me. Yeah, they were like, stop that. But do you see what he's saying? The most gifted person in the room that uses their gifts but doesn't do it with love makes you and I want to run away. A gifted speaker without love has no hearing. You see what I'm saying? There's something more important than gifts. Love. He says it again, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, the smartest person in the room, and if I have Faith says remove mountains. The thing that you would go, man, supernatural works are happening through them. The smartest, gifted person with greatest faith, but without love, what? Nothing. So it's almost a crime to teach you 1 Corinthians 12 without teaching you 1 Corinthians 13. Because if we don't, we miss actually an important component, the last sentence of the whole chapter that says, as good as this is, there's more excellent. And you've all heard there's good, better, and 
best. And Paul's going, there's something better than spiritual gifts. And it comes down to, in a word, love. It is the priority. Love is the more excellent way. And it's not just here in verse 31 of chapter 12, that the more excellent way. It says at the end of this chapter, now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So I want us to craft a statement here. Love, the priority of love is expressed in this way. Love is the greatest. That's the biblical expression. Love is the greatest. Greater than what? Faith and hope. How about this? First Peter 4, 7 through 8. The end of all things is near. Some of you are really focused in on that right now. The end is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment. Think clearly. Sober spirit. Don't get drunk. And not just literally drunk on alcohol, but don't get drunk in all the things going on. Don't get lost in that. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit so you can pray above all. Above sound judgment, sober spirit, and prayer? That's what it says. <laughs> Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Because as much sound judgment and sober spirit, as much as we pray, anybody still sin? <laughs> yeah. Love is the greatest. Love is... According to 1 Peter 4, above all. Again, above sound judgment, above sober spirit. See, if I, if I made this up, you go, I don't know if I agree with you, Doug. <laughs> and I'm not even sure I would agree with me, except this is exactly what the scripture says, above all. How about this from uh, Colossians 3? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. For, forgive. Beyond all these things. Now, and I cut it short. If you were there with me in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12, you would go, uh, there's humility and there's kindness and there's compassion and there's gentleness. All good things. But more excellent, greater, above all, this language, beyond all these things that I just named, put on love. Why? Because it's the perfect bond of unity. So crafting this statement, love is the greatest above all, beyond all. See, it's priority. And we'll round it out with what Jesus said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If, and man, if I would have started, if you didn't know the scriptures, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if, and you got to fill in the blank. That'd been a fascinating exercise. If, and there'd probably be a lot of different answers. The answer that Jesus added was, if you love one another. Why? Because it is the greatest, <laughs> above all, beyond all, defining mark of a follower of Jesus. This is how people are going to know.
Now, <clears throat> again, I, I doubt any of you are going, oh, wow, love matters, really? I, I'm not saying love matters. What am I saying? Love matters most. And, and that's where I'm not sure we're always convinced. <laughs> love matters most. It is the greatest, above all, beyond all, defining mark of a follower of Jesus. Can, can you just... Uh, Read that with me. Just read the yellow with me. Love is the greatest, above all, beyond all, defining mark of a follower of Jesus. So in other words, when it's your day and your life is done and your people are talking about your life, what we would hope most of all is that what would come out of their mouths is not what you accomplished, not what you built, but how you loved. Now, that might seem a little morbid or too big, but I don't think it's strange at all to go, when my life is over, have I lived in a manner that that which would mark my life out of the mouth of people is not my spiritual gift, but how I loved. How you loved. If you're married, how you loved your spouse. If the Lord gave you kids, how you loved your kids. How you loved your parents. How you loved your neighbors. See, can you, can you scroll that through? If your neighbor stood up after you died, what would they say? If your spouse, it'd be hard to speak, what would they say? Your kids, what would they say? And, and all I'm simply getting at is what Jesus really helps us with is the defining mark. This is what the scripture helps us with. The greatest, above all, beyond all thing that we would if we're going to reflect Christ, what be said is, we loved well. So, again, that's probably not a news flash to you. But it's still important. And I don't find, for me anyway, uh, it get old to be reminded. All right? <clears throat> Love matters most, that's the word that was on the tip of your tongue. Love matters most. <laughs> and here's what love looks like. And the scripture defines it again. Some of you will be well familiar. But as we look at how the scripture defines love, don't think of, I think it's easy to go, let's talk about love. And it's like, it's this, object or it's this idea. I don't want us to think that way. I want us to think in relationship. When we read this, let's not think of an idea. Let's not think of a concept. Let's not think of love as this object. Let's think, how do I relate to my spouse? 
and lay it against what the scripture says. Or how do I relate with my kids? Or how do I relate to my parents? Or how do I relate to my coworkers? You see what I'm saying? Think relationship, not, not conceptually, think relationally. And I think this, it'll make the scriptures speak so much more clearly to us. It's a long list. When we look at the practical expressions of love, four through seven, 15 descriptions. Love is, again, not a concept, relationship. A loving relationship, or when I love others, I am, and here's what it is, patient, kind, not jealous, don't brag, not arrogant. You see, you see what I'm doing? I'm taking that, this idea that love is this independent object sitting here that we're describing. And we're describing a relationship. When I love others, I'm patient, kind, not jealous. I'm not bragging. I'm not arrogant. I don't act unbecomingly. Our language, I don't act ugly. I don't seek my own. I'm not provoked. And I don't take into account a wrong suffered. I don't rejoice in unrighteousness, but I rejoice with the truth. And again, not a concept relationally. Relationally, I bear all things, I believe all things, I hope all things, and I endure all things. Maybe that helps. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's obvious. But it makes a difference. We're not describing something. We are identifying here is a relationship that loves. I love others by being patient. There's, there's seven beings and eight not beings, okay? There's eight things that I, seven things that I do and eight things I don't do according to this text. Love is patient. So again, we're not, not love. No, loving people are patient, which normally we think means, oh, loving people aren't bothered by waiting. No, that's not what patience is. Patience is I'm suffering by waiting, but I'm continuing to willing to suffer as opposed to make you suffer. We think, oh, if I'd just be patient, it wouldn't, be bother. it wouldn't bother me anymore. No, once it's not bothering me anymore, it's not patience. <laughs> patience is I'm bothered, but I'm still gonna stay bothered and not bother you. You see what I'm saying? When I take my little grandkids out on the dock and they walk so slow. You may go, oh, well, that doesn't bother your grandkids. Well, yeah, I'm not being patient. It's not like, oh, look at the grandpa being so patient. No, I'm enjoying the time. When it bugs me, I pick them up and I carry them. <laughs> see, don't think of, oh, I, when it doesn't bother me anymore, that's when I'm patient. That's not what patience is. Long-suffering. Now, here's good news. In the original Greek word here, traffic is excluded from this word. <laughs> I love it when we find stuff in the Greek. No, there's no traffic exclusion. So that's just for my wife who's given me speeches about patience and traffic. <laughs> Love others by being kind. Only thing I want to comment on that is this. 
It's kind is more than being not being unkind. In other words, if, you're, if your mom told you, hey, if you can't speak a kind word, don't speak a word at all. That's not kindness. Kindness isn't just shutting up. Kindness is what? Uh, actually saying good words instead of just not saying hurtful words. You see that? I think sometimes I, I let myself off the hook by being kind, but I was just not being unkind. That gets me to neutral. <laughs> but no, nobody's loved in neutral. Kindness. Going the, the speaking, acting, that which is to their benefit. Love others by bearing their burdens. This is, this is at core our point of our readiosity fund. That, that we would say we want to be ready when other folks in our body and our community have a burden. And if it helps you, just think somebody's carrying this huge load. Just think physically, they're carrying a huge load. And you could look and go, well, glad I'm not carrying that. Or what? You could grow up and say, how can I help you with that? That's what love does. Love simply says, let me help you with that. And it's sometimes pretty small. It's me sitting in my recliner, looking at Jackie, cleaning up from after dinner and going... Do I want to get out of the chair? I imagine you guys have been there. Do I really want to be out, get out of the chair and help bear the burden? I could go, oh, I think she'll say no, so I'll say yes. But that's just going to help bear the burden. I want us as a church to prayerfully consider a very specific way we might help bear a burden this Christmas. Uh, through our commended missionaries, Justin and Shannon Brown, some of you know Justin and Shannon, uh, they've been, like, Justin came through the youth group, met at a torchbearer school, just like Farston and Christina did. So if you have a single child, send them to torchbearer, they might meet and get married. This happened right here. Um, <clears throat> They serve in Mombasa, east coast of Africa, southern part of Kenya. And they're part of Lighthouse Christian Mission there. And one of the elements of their mission work there is an eye clinic because for some reasons that are still not really able to be identified, there are almost countless children who are blind. And they're blind because of cataracts. What you and I would associate with blindness because of someone older, it's children born blind, and, and then are they become blind at three or four, and it's because of cataracts. And they're going to be blind the rest of their life. Here's, here's the crazy part. But for $200 an eye, we can give a child sight. Is that crazy? Maybe that doesn't strike you. I'm like, who of us in here 
would have a family member who was blind and five and going to be blind for the rest of their life wouldn't figure out how to get $400 to change the trajectory of their life. That's the story in Mombasa. We would all do it because we'd figure out a way. They have no way to do it. And the kids are going to grow up and be blind their entire life unless somebody says, hey, let's help, let's bear their burden. Let's help them in a way that they can't help themselves. And the good news is that Justin said, when they have, when they have resources, the doctors do the surgeries. And then when the resources start to get low, they start to stop doing the surgeries because they want to kind of save it for the worst cases. But when the fund is full, they're giving kids the gift of sight. So this year, for our radiosity, uh, tree at Christmas Eve, last few years we've had what we call a radiosity tree where we put envelopes on it. This year specifically, we're going to have all of our gifts be given to, other uh, than put it in, I guess we don't have uh, this picture in here. It's simply a, a um, give the sight of Christmas. So, <clears throat> yeah. We're going to give you an envelope when you leave. And all we're asking you to do is Ask the Lord, Lord, how would you lead us in how we might bear one another's burdens and participate? It's good for, for Jackie and I to say yesterday, all right, hey, what are you thinking about what we, how we would want to contribute to this? So talk about it. If you're a part of a family, talk about it as a family. How would we want to, and I think it, you know, Scripture says, pray for those in prison as if you were in prison. So I just think it really helps. Think about this. This is where I've been anyway. Lord's blessed us with six kids. If I had six kids and six of them were blind, I know what I'd do. So um, pray about it, and then Bring these back Christmas Eve. If I know and I understand we live in a world where giving's actually easier online because checkbooks are becoming a thing of the past. If, if you give online, which you can do, it says right here in the envelope, just put a note in, in the envelope that says, here, we gave this online. We want to bear one another's burdens. And do know that when a family hears that, hey, Someone is given so that your child can be given sight. They come to the eye clinic. They come to the hospital there, and they show them the Jesus film. They share the gospel with them. Everybody who gets the gift of physical sight also gets to hear the gospel in the process. And so excited for what, what the Lord will I may be crazy in thinking this, 
But when I sat with them, it's, it seems to me that a little church in Mandarin could go a long way in eradicating blindness in Mombasa. That's, that's an impact. Oh, there was my slide. <laughs> Love others by believing the best. Love believes all things. So when that person calls you and has you, you know, this phenomenal deal for you, definitely believe them. No, that, that's not what this is talking about. It doesn't, it doesn't believe everything that liars tell you, scammers tell you. It simply means this. You're in a conversation in family group and you're driving home and what did they mean when they said this? You're going to have a moment to determine, believe the best or believe the worst, to impute motive to what was said. We do this all the time in our marriages with our kids, with one another. Sometimes we believe the worst. And to believe all things is simply say, love is going to believe the best until the facts prove otherwise. Okay? Love believes the best until the facts prove otherwise. Uh, love by remaining hopeful. Love hopes all things. And one of the most practical ways that we can love is when life is so hard. And when life is hard, some of you experience this more than others, quite frankly. Some of you know what, it like, what it's like to have the dark clouds roll in in your life. And one of the greatest ways that we can love one another when people are experiencing dark clouds rolling in is not to say those clouds don't exist, but to give them hope in the midst of it. Love gives hope. Love remains present. Love, this comes from love endures all things. See, I've tried to make sure that we understand these relationally. Love remains present. They endure. You stick with them through the whole process. Love remains present. John Harmelin, our, our pastor of shepherding for the past 15 years, is going to uh, step off of full-time staff at the end of this month. You all know that, and he'll stay on, on his pastoral care role. Uh, but if, uh, last week, we had a Christmas party with all the staff and elders and spouses we were in here, and, and five people shared about John in his 15 years here. And what was so good about that was it was prior to his death, so he got to hear it. <laughs> but five people said the same thing in their own personal way. John was present. John was with them when life was hard. That's, that's loving well. Being present really does make a difference. It's a reflection that we're one body. We rejoice together and we suffer together. Being present. Uh, love others by celebrating truth. Love rejoices. That this is what the text says. Love rejoices in the truth. I think this is getting harder in our world. 
because truth is becoming, it's not becoming more relative, it's being embraced as more relative, less and less of a belief in absolute truth. And therefore, track with me now, when truth is seemingly becoming more relative, now people feel like they have to make a decision. Am I going to stand for truth or I'm going to love? You're going to face this in your family as people make decisions. You're going to have to have this, this tension. Am I going to stand for truth or am I going to love them? And here's what I want you to know. They are not in contradiction to one another. Whenever we stand in truth, we are loving. They are not in contradiction. Here, here's the way the scripture speaks. Speaking the truth in love. So yes, there is a manner in which truth is communicated in a loving way, but I don't want us to think that speaking the truth in love means that relationally I need to pick truth or love. More and more, that's what's being said. I know what the scripture says, but I just feel like, here's what's said, but I just feel like I really need to love them. As if somehow abandoning truth is more loving than holding to truth. Love, truth, and love are never in contradiction. I don't know that I would have felt like I needed to say that 20 years ago. But given where truth is headed in our culture, and when I say love is the priority, you may hear something that's not accurate, that sometimes you need to love instead of stand with truth. They're never in contradiction. It's never more loving to abandon truth. How we communicate it, when we communicate it, matters, but they're not in contradiction. Uh, abandoning truth is actually maybe one of the most unloving things we can actually do. All right, so now we move to the what love doesn't do relationally. Love by not being jealous. See, I can't love you if I'm jealous. It's just bottom line. If I look at what God has done in your life and what God has blessed you with and I look at my life and I feel like I got the short end of the stick, I won't love you. Love is not jealous. Love others by not being rude. Acting unbecomingly is what the text says. Love others by not being rude. Love others by not singing your own praise. What's the word in the text? Love doesn't, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag. It doesn't sing your own praise. Proverbs says, let another sing your praise. <laughs> That's a song for somebody else to sing. And by the way, when you sing the praise of another, uh, that's a good thing. Never think, oh, I don't want to encourage them. They might get a big hit. That'd be their fault, not yours. 
It really impacted me. As an 18-year-old, a guy said that to me. He said, sometimes people don't want to encourage or encourage too much because they think it might cause somebody to be proud. And he said, that's their deal. My responsibility is to encourage. Their responsibility is to remain humble. So if you think somehow you're helping somebody be more godly by not encouraging them, you're not. You're actually making it harder for them to be godly. Encourage them. When you see the Lord's work, when you see the Lord's fingerprint, uh, I was so encouraged by what Forrest shared. Really encouraged. And encouraged by the way in which he shared it. When you see something, you see the hand of the Lord, be sure to speak it. Share it. You don't need to sing your praises. Sing other people's praises. You know what happens when when people sing their own praise, nobody else wants to join that song. Right? They're like, uh, if you're going to sing it, I'm not. Again, that's not the biblical, that's not the godly response to that. That may be a song that's saying, you don't encourage me, I'll encourage me. You know that song? If you don't encourage me, I'll encourage me. <laughs> but then it's double ugly. Love others by not singing your own praise. Love others, 11, by not thinking too highly of yourself. Because if I think too highly of myself, I won't be patient. I won't be kind. I won't bear the burden. Because that's what other people do. 12, Love, love others by not seeking your way. I do think it's important as you write down that by not only seeking your way. Philippians 2 says, look out not only for your own interest, but also for the other interest of others. It's not inappropriate to look out for your interest. What is unloving is when you only look out for your interest. Love others by not blowing up, not provoked. And love others by not keeping count of wrong. It's so easy to keep a ledger relationally keep a record of wrong see who's winning see who's losing see what you owe and don't keep a record of wrong that that's that's challenging and so next week we will look at the high hurdle of forgiveness Part of forgiveness and not keeping a record of wrong. And 15, the last not love others by not celebrating sin. It's the, it's the inverse of love rejoices in the truth. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And friends, let me admit something to you. There is what I would describe as bachelor Level 
love, and then there's master level love, and then there's like PhD level love, meaning what we get here is I think bachelor level to understand what love. But then we're gonna get into some text where it says, even though I should believe all things and endure all things, always remain present, there's actually a time where I'm supposed to confront sin and then even expose sin and then even not associate. Hey, and it seems like that's in contradiction. And it's not in contradiction. It's specific expressions of love in unique circumstances of how we love one another as part of the body. That becomes what I would describe as PhD level. It doesn't change this bachelor level of love. It's just there are some unique expressions. And this is when it gets, I think, honestly, very difficult to be maturing into Christ-likeness. Because all of us, whether it's in our family or at work or in our neighbor, all of us are going to find ourselves in situations where it's really going to be hard to know, what is loving here? We've already established loving is not abandoning truth, but, but how do I love in this situation? Here's what they claim, here's what they're doing. Doesn't celebrate sin, but there, there's some specific expressions, and we'll We'll take a message as we continue to grow in maturity. We'll, we'll look at some of those specific expressions of what I'm trying to describe as PhD level love. And I imagine in Q&A today, I'll get some, I'm in this situation and this person is doing this, what's loving there? And it is an understanding of scripture that love believes all things. And love endures all things. And it also confronts and exposes. Even though love covers a multitude of sins, then it also exposes. So when and when? That's part of our maturing into Christ. Likeness. If you love those who love you, what credit? What credit is that to you? Why? Even sinners love those who love them. In other words, there's nothing supernatural about loving people who love you. Everybody does that. But, now here, here's what marks us as the, the love of God. Love your enemies. Now you may think, well, I don't know, do I have enemies? Some of you may go, no, I, I definitely have some enemies. At least make it love those who don't love you. Who you've tried to love and haven't loved you in return. Love those who have told lies about you. You may not have thought of them as an enemy, but they've misrepresented you at work. They've taken credit that was yours, but they took the credit. Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself does this. He's kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. 
This is Jesus speaking, and he's simply saying, my followers love people that other people don't love. They love people who don't love them. And the next step, they love people who are unloving to them. See, if if we just love people who love us, you know what we are? We're not the church, we're just the country club. Because that's what they do at the country club. They love people who love them. What will actually define us as followers of Jesus is when we go beyond the country club and we go, we're going to love people who don't love us, who aren't kind to us, we're going to be kind to them, who have not been good to us, but we're going to be good to them, who have taken from us, but we're going to help them. That's a whole new territory. You understand what I'm describing? That's a whole new territory of love that Jesus defines for us, that love is the greatest, above all, beyond all, defining mark of a follower of Jesus because the the love of God is not limited. It's not all that it's, it's just not all that it does, it's who it does that to. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you don't, I just feel the weight of these 15 things and I go, I have a hard time doing that for Jackie. (laughs) And she loves me. For my enemy? (laughs) See, this is when, this is when we must learn to walk in the spirit. Because apart from the spirit of God working in us and the spirit of God working through us, We're in a hard time loving people who love us. I mean, really loving them. But let alone this whole territory of loving people who don't love us and aren't lovable. It is a power of God's love in us. It's not limited to those who love us. It expands. And second, Pick it up from our core text, 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Ever wondered, what's that really mean? Love never fails. Like, like if I love my spouse enough, then they really will love me? Or if, my love, if, if I love my kids, then sooner or later when they get older, someday they're, they're going to love me. Love never fails. It always works. That'd be great, except that's not true. So what's it mean, love never fails. Well, the text helps us. Love never fails, and then explains. But if there are gifts of prophecy, are there? Yeah. Uh, They will be done away with. If there are tongues, they'll cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away with. In other words, of the gifts, think of it in like this. All the gifts have an expiration date on them. Do you believe in expiration dates? Yeah, I don't believe in expiration days. I'm always like, don't believe that junk. And Jay's like, she's going to be really happy one day when I'm throwing up like mad. She's going to go, I told you so. (laughs) I don't believe that junk. That's protecting them, not me. That's what I think, which is irrelevant. Uh, There are, sorry, there are expiration dates. There are expiration dates on gifts of the Spirit. 
they're going to cease. When it says, in contrast, love never fails, when God is cleaning out his refrigerator, <laughs> he's going to go, don't need that. Hmm, don't need that anymore. Don't need that anymore. Oh, that one never goes bad. See what I'm saying? There's never a time where love will be done away with. Prophecy, sure. Knowledge, yes. Speaking gifts, don't need them anymore. Love, no expiration date. Love never fails. There's never a time where you go, don't need to do that anymore. You know why that really matters? Because I'm sitting in my truck with my neighbor years ago. Doug, I've been trying to love my wife. She just doesn't respond. How long do I need to keep doing this? What's he asking for? Expiration day. How long do I need to keep doing this? And I can't say in that moment, I'll just keep it up. Because if you keep it up, she'll turn. Because I don't have that guarantee. I just have this. When it's the love of God, the love of God never expires. It's always in season. What I said to him was, I don't mean to be mean, but you get to stop loving her when he stops loving you. Because that's the love of God. It never fails. No matter who the person is and what they've done. It's not limited to the power of God's love, it's not limited to the loving or the lovable, and has no expiration date. So I ask you from the start to think about this relationally. Let me uh, just invite you to bow with me now. And let's just take a quiet moment to think about the people that God has placed in our life. Anything that the Lord has spoken to you about that relationship. About maybe where and a love has stopped. Love has been short. You've been ugly. You've been counting wrongs. Whatever the Lord would bring to mind, just invite him to take this scripture that we've talked about and put it in the mirror of your own relationships and say, Lord, Shape me. Make me like you. So I would love as you love.
our desire, that we're known, that we're marked by our love for each other and love in supernatural ways that we can't do ourselves. So we ask you, Lord, we invite you to to teach us and to move us as we go on through our day today and through our week as we go, that we would love like you love. And we're dependent on you completely to do that. Lord, we trust what you'll do in in our lives and in our relationships. You're good to us. You're a good giver. You'll give us what we need. Amen. Hey, if we can pray for you in any way, we have men and women between the auditoriums that are there to pray with you individually. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for being here. God bless.